Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. You might have heard me breathe. A huge sigh of relief there because today's game was torture. Finished up Leeds United nil, Arsenal won. The performance wasn't great for large periods. We rode our luck at times, but we got there. We got over the line. We put another three points on the board and continued our excellent run of form. And to top it off, Manchester City were beaten at Anfield by Liverpool, which means they will no longer have a chance of going invincible, which is obviously great for us because the record still stands. And for yet another season, nobody's going to be able to match it. But at the same time, it opens up a gap between ourselves and Manchester City. And look, lots and lots of people are getting carried away and and talking about the title and where Arsenal could end up this season and that the way we play today and the result that we came away with signifies that we have what it takes to be champions. But the bigger thing for me, forget the gap between us and Manchester City, right? I, I wouldn't bet against them beating us twice and closing that gap. In fact, leapfrogging us and being two points clear of us if after those two games are done. But you look at Manchester United down in fifth. OK, we've played a game more. But you look at Manchester United, who, as it stands, are 11 points behind Arsenal. So it could be eight. So we're eight points clear in the top four race. That's how I'm looking at it. I know people will say, stop being pessimistic. People will say, what's the matter with you? We should be aiming higher than that. But as I've said to you throughout, my mindset still has not switched. It just hasn't. Not yet. But if it's going to, games like today and days like today are going to be the ones that that maybe make me start to dream and start to dare to dream and and to wonder uh, if this is possible. Big hello to everybody in the live chat. Hope you're all well. Let me say a few hellos and then we'll jump straight into the conversation because there's a lot to talk about from today's game. I want to say a big hello uh, to Clock in Seb, who's just top of the table and the Golden League trophy is safe for another season. We've got Super Mick Arteta. Chad says, winning ugly. Hell yeah, I'll take it all day long, even if it does my blood pressure in. Um, Henry says, unlucky Man City being invincible ain't for everyone. Uh, Matt says he needs time to lower his blood pressure. Uh, Henry highlighting some some of the statistics around Gabrielle's performance. We're going to come on and talk about that a little bit later on as well. Uh, DJ Dot says, apart from the clear dubiousness of the penalty, Gabriel was more solid than Saliba today. They both complement and pick up from each other's slack. That's a real centre-back partnership. Reminds him of Toure and Campbell. Uh, Sorry I called you a walking meatloaf. Yes, that is someone's screen name. Says, we went ugly. That's what champions do. Trevor says, just another day in the life of an Arsenal fan. We'll come on to your comments a little bit later on. I promise we'll spend a bit of time at the end doing a bit of a Q&A. But let's, um, let's start off by talking about What happened pre-game? No, actually, it wasn't pre-game. The game started. This is what was bonkers about it. Um, But obviously, the game kicks off one, two minutes into the game. The referee stops play because he's lost communication, not only with the people uh, that are helping him officiate the game within the stadium, but also with those at Stockley Park, which means that the VAR's out, which means that the game couldn't be played in the same environment that, Premier League games were being played up and down the country. And I think that although it was incredibly frustrating at the time, 
I, I sort of said this when it was happening, you know, after about five, 10 minutes, when you're initially going, this is a joke, this is a laugh, what the hell is going on here? And you're moaning about how it disrupts our momentum. The more it kind of went on, and, and obviously we were delayed for what, a good half an hour in the end, maybe a little bit more. I think 2.40, the game actually got back on the way. So if we were two minutes in, it's probably about a 35, 37 minute delay. Um, I sort of, I sort of remember sort of sitting there and thinking, well, actually, whilst everybody else is sort of ranting and raving and suggesting that the game should go on just without VAR in the old school way, without goal line tech, which obviously wasn't working at the time either. In my mind, I was sitting there going, no, no, because it will be sod's law that will be on the end of a bad call that could have been rectified had VAR been in play. And it's not fair. It, it affects the integrity of the competition. If that game was to have gone ahead without VAR, whilst everybody else was playing with it. So I think the right decision was taken in the end. Look, nobody could do an awful lot about it. Okay. Nobody could prevent it. We understand there was a power cut in the area, which is obviously out of Leeds United Football Club's hands, out of the officials' hands, out of anybody that was in the stadium's hands, right? So we have to accept that and we have to acknowledge that. And some of the journos that were at the game, uh, sort of friends of mine, beg your pardon, um, had taken to Twitter to tell people that there was a kind of like a flashing of the lights above them. The lights went off and then came back on, which suggests if it wasn't a, a complete outage and a power cut then it was maybe a surge or something like that but essentially whatever the reason was it took out the power which took out the communication capabilities of the officials both with Stockley Park and among themselves and listen it was annoying and and I remember again at that time thinking you just get the feeling that it's not going to be our day you just get the feeling that we're going to really have to work for this and that this is going to have some sort of negative impact on the outcome of this football match from an Arsenal perspective. Imagine you have your routine mapped out, as Arsenal would have, as every team would have. You know, it's the same for Leeds United as well, you've got to say. But you've got your routine set in stone. You sort of build everything up. Part of that routine is built to getting you mentally ready and physically ready to go out there at 2pm, kick off the game and be at your best. And before you've even got warm, the game is having to be suspended and delayed. So I think you have to give Arsenal immense credit for being able to stand up to the mental challenge that they face today, despite that happening at the beginning. You also have to give Leeds credit because I don't think it affected them. I think Leeds came out there and played pretty much to the maximum of their ability and were probably incredibly unlucky come the end of the game that they ended up with nothing. I have to say that you have to give them their dues. But anyway, let's... um. Let's talk about things that were within our control, things that were within Mikel Arteta's control. And let's start off with the team selection. Um, pretty much as expected, boosted by the news that Gabriel Jesus was past fit to play, despite there being a lot of rumours and a lot of concern around whether or not he'd have been available for selection. He was great. Um, the questionable decision that Mikel Arteta had to make today or the decision that was perhaps the most controversial is probably a better way of putting it, was whether or not to continue with Tomiyasu at left-back. Obviously, he played there in the Premier League against Liverpool. Or was it time to bring Kieran Tierney back into the starting eleven? And Mikel Arteta opted to keep the Japanese international at left-back. When I saw it, when I saw the team news break, I was a little bit surprised. I did look at it and think, hmm, that's interesting. It's not what I would have done, as you guys will know that watched or listened to the preview. I would have gone with Tierney. I thought it was better suited for today's game. I didn't look at Leeds' side and feel like there was anyone that we needed to be massively sort of um, obsessed about on a on a sort of individual level. Obviously, they've got good players. We saw that throughout the game. Their system is effective. It's ferocious the way they play. There's so much to admire about this lead side, and we will talk about them a little bit later on as well. But um, I didn't look at it and feel like in the way we had to against Mo Salah that we had to be so worried or concerned by any one individual. And what we did was, you know, make that call, make that decision against Liverpool, and it worked, and great, happy days. And I think what happened in the sense of today is that 
This isn't about Mikel Arteta thinking that Kieran Tierney's no good. This isn't about Mikel Arteta suddenly deciding that he doesn't fancy Kieran Tierney, that he's not trustworthy at left-back anymore. But naturally, when you leave Tierney out of the Liverpool game, you feel, going to Bodo Glimp, that you can give him minutes and you should give Tommy Asu a breather because you're trying to manage everybody's minutes right now across what is still quite a small squad. So naturally, if Tierney plays in midweek, it makes sense that Tommy Asu, who only got on for 18, 20 or so minutes in Bodo Glimt, is going to be the fresher of the two players, as opposed to Tierney, who played all those minutes, you know, in Norway. So I don't think this was about Mikel Arteta thinking that Kieran Tierney couldn't do the job today or that Kieran Tierney uh, is no good and is no longer a part of his plans. To me, this looked like a decision that was part of a wider strategy to to try and balance things out in terms of the minutes that we're giving people and to make sure we can look after players as best as possible. And when you think about Kieran Tierney in particular, he is someone whose minutes we have to manage probably more so than a lot of other players in that squad because of his injury record. There's a few of them. Thomas Partey is another one. You know, you've got to be careful with him. You've got to be careful with Kieran Tierney, I'd say that you've got to be careful with Emil Smith-Rowe, who's obviously out at the moment. But even when he's back, he's someone that constantly has these problems. And you've got to look after your players in that sense. The point I'm trying to make is that had Kieran Tierney been the one that sat on the bench for most of the trip to Bodo Glimt and Tommy Asu had played more minutes, I think Mikel Arteta would have picked Kieran Tierney today. So the point I'm trying to make is that this is not anything deeper then just Mikel Arteta rotating and looking at it today and thinking who is the most fit? Who is the one that's going to come in and give me the most? And, you know, I think actually in hindsight, it was probably the wrong call. I really do. You know, we'll come on to talk about individual performances a little bit later on in the show, but I didn't think Tommy Yasu in the first half looked at all comfortable. He was trying to play the inverted role. He was dropping into midfield to help out Thomas Partey. And when we're out of possession, he's great. You know, he closes people down. He's big, he's strong, he's physical. He reads the game really well. He makes sure that he occupies the right spaces. He cuts out passing lanes. He's an athlete as well. Somebody who's very, very difficult to beat. But when it comes to in possession, and I've always said this about Tommy Asu, whether he's playing left back, right back, centre back, centre forward. I've said this a million and one times. There is a limit to what Tommy Asu can bring you on the ball, in my opinion. Does the simple things quite well, but isn't massively comfortable, I don't think, in possession in the way that Zinchenko is when he plays on that left-hand side, for example. And I thought against the team in Leeds United who really wanted to press us, who wanted to hurt us, who wanted to upset the apple cart, who were brave in their approach against Arsenal, who didn't come there today and think, yeah, you know what? This side of top of the league, everybody's struggling to live with them at the moment. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit back and try and soak up and make it as difficult for them as possible. Jesse Marsh said, F that. I'm not doing that. That's not our game. That's not the way we want to play. We're going to go and we're going to try and impose ourselves on Arsenal. And I've got a lot of respect for managers who do that, who aren't obsessed with their opponent, who aren't so concerned by what their opponent brings to the table that they lose their own identity. Instead, Jesse Marsh felt that the best way to get at Arsenal was to try and get in and amongst them, to try and stop Arsenal playing out from the back. And Tommy Asu in the first half was clearly somebody that they targeted because every time the ball went to him, well, most of the time when the ball went to him, he'd take an extra touch because he's not as comfortable being in on his wrong side. His position would sometimes be a little bit narrow, which meant that he didn't have an awful lot of time and space when receiving the ball. And I just felt like he looked just like the square peg in the round hole, essentially. Um, you know, we got away with it in the first half. Uh, but yeah, I, I think in hindsight, we can say that the, the decision to play Tommy was probably wrong over Tierney. But then again, as I've said already, there's obviously some kind of issue here or a desire, at least within the Arsenal camp, to make sure that they're managing minutes and they're managing players' workloads because they are aware that the squad is not as big as perhaps it could be or should be. And um, and a good way to do that is is to try and utilise the squad members in the areas where we have sufficient cover. And Tommy Asu is certainly good enough cover, as we saw today. We kept the clean sheet. But um, I do think we lack a little something when we try and play out with him. 
And I do think that we lack a little something down the left in the sense of he doesn't give Martinelli the support or the overlapping runs or anything like that that Zinchenko can give him or that Tierney can give him. So I've mentioned the delay already. And, you know, I do think that that was uh, a factor in the outcome of the game today. I do think that mentally it would have derailed people a little bit as I talk a lot about routine when discussing athletes going into big sporting events. And I think for a lot of them, the routine is key. The way they build up to the game, the way they uh, plan their sort of habits in and around the game, it's all designed to ensure that when they get out onto the pitch, they're in the finest possible mental condition and physical condition as well to go out there and be as competitive as they possibly can. What's that old saying? Uh, Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. I think preparation is key. And obviously the preparation for both sides was disrupted. But having said that, I thought Arsenal played okay in the first half. I thought that we showed some um, sort of nice patterns of play. There were some really intricate moments that were a joy to watch. I thought that we managed to get our line quite high up, which is obviously what we want to do in order to try and impose ourselves on our opponent. I thought that we did leave spaces in behind, but for the most part, Gabriel, Saliba, White, Tommy Asu, they marshaled those spaces really, really well. I thought we struggled to work the ball through the midfield at times, but there were also times where Xhaka was combining with people, where Odegaard was combining with people. Saka and Martinelli didn't get as involved in the game as I'd have liked to have seen. I thought Gabriel Jesus was uh, on the peripheries as well. He was trying too hard at certain points, I felt, today. Look, we knew he was a doubt going into the game, and I wonder if that had an impact on his performance. But he was dropping into holes. He was wasteful in possession. Sometimes he was trying to do too much with the ball at his feet. He kept losing the ball. And, yeah, there were moments where, in that first period, where it looked good and it clicked, and there were moments where it looked all over the place. But, of course, Bukayo Saka, um, who hadn't had a really sort of effective game up until that point, managed to get in behind after a delightfully weighted pass from Martin Odegaard. And then from the angle, he beats Ilan Melier, probably the only way he can from there, which is by hitting it into the roof of the net. The game um, obviously wasn't available in UK TV today. And so I was watching it on a foreign channel and the commentary was very sort of critical of Ilan Melier. But I don't think you can criticise the goalkeeper an awful lot in that situation. I think when the finish is that good, and as I say, it's probably the only place in the goal that you can put that without the goalkeeper getting anywhere near it from that angle, you've got to just give praise to the striker, to the forward, to the finisher. And, you know, as I say, Bukayo Saka had been on the peripheries of the game. He hadn't been as involved as we'd have liked him. Rodrigo's pass... Uh, was across the pitch and that led to uh, Arsenal sort of picking Leeds' pocket of possession. But I go back to that pass from Martin Odegaard. Watch it again. Perfectly weighted. Absolutely perfect. And people will be critical of him and people will talk about him maybe not impacting games. That is the kind of quality and brilliance that he brings you in the final third. And Bukayo Saka will tell you that Martin Odegaard's role in that goal was equally as important because it is a stunning piece of play from the Norwegian. So, you know, you get to halftime, you're 1-0 up. You haven't been amazing, but you've been good. There's been some openings. Leeds have huffed and they've puffed and they've threatened a little bit, but not really called Aaron Ramsdale into major, major action at this point. And you go in at halftime and you think, OK, you know, happy days. We were disrupted pre-game, as were both sides. We maybe struggled at certain points in that first half to cut Leeds United open. We had to sort of backpedal very often to deal with those spaces that we ourselves were leaving in behind because clearly Leeds had a plan to attack those. But we're a goal to the good. We go in at halftime. Great. Happy days. 1-0 to the Arsenal. Now, what really frustrated me was the way we came out for the second half. Because the way we came out for the second half was just totally unacceptable. I don't know what happened at halftime. I don't know what was said at halftime. I don't know if any words were exchanged. I don't know what the dynamic in the dressing room was, but it certainly didn't translate across onto the pitch into anything that suggested there was an energy or 
you know, a, a sort of reset in our minds in terms of concentration. We were all over the shop, all over the shop. And Leeds United had a goal disallowed um, after Patrick Bamford seemed to push Gabriel just to gain that slight advantage. Listen, I'll be honest with you. If that was given against us, I'd be absolutely livid. Now, I know it's 2022 and to a degree, the standard of officiating and the sort of the way people have been nitpicking since the introduction of VAR, you have to probably say that the referee had no choice but to rule out the goal. But I tell you what, if that was the other way around, as I say, I'd be absolutely livid. And Arsenal get away with that. And you're thinking, come on, now we want a response. We've been very fortunate. Okay, we've we've come out in the second half. We've been caught napping. Thankfully for us, Patrick Bamford gives Gabriel a little bit of a nudge just to ease him out of the way. We've conceded a goal. The goal's been chalked off. Now we've got to, got to click into gear. Sometimes you need a warning. Sometimes you need a proverbial kick up the backside. And when you get that, that can set you off again and it can reset in terms of your concentration. But it didn't work because for the whole second half, we just struggled to get out. We offered zero as an attacking threat ourselves. It was backs against the wall pretty much all the way through. Aaron Ramsdale was pulling off save after save after save. Some of them routine, some of them very good. They were pressing us still. They continued to apply that. I wondered if they could keep up the work rate that they showed in the first half. To be fair to them, they did. Patrick Bamford was on and he was causing us a whole new load of problems, the type of which we hadn't come across in that first period. He was a nuisance. And around about the hour mark, Arsenal give away a penalty kick. Now, there should have been an offside flag in the build-up. And for some reason, that's been totally missed. I think it was Rasmus Christiansen. Uh, is it Christiansen? What's his name? The Danish um, fullback that was playing on the right-hand side for Leeds. Hold on, I'll tell you exactly because I'll feel terrible if I get it wrong. Uh, where is it? Hold on. Lineups. There we go. Yeah, Rasmus Christensen on that right-hand side. He's clearly in an offside position. It's clear as day that Christensen is in an offside position in the build-up to that ball. Um, going into the penalty area and William Saliba definitely handles it. He's been slightly nudged, maybe shaken off balance, whatever. But the way the ball rolls down his hand inside the box, preventing it reaching the striker and preventing the striker getting away, you can't have any complaints about that. It's a penalty based on that incident in isolation. But the point here is that it should never have got that far because Christensen was offside. And the astounding thing about that is that the linesman is standing right in line with him. He is watching from the perfect, ideal position. How has he not cottoned onto that? How has he not clocked that? It never, it was never picked up. And that's shocking because I only saw one replay and spotted it. So how are they not picking that up at Stockley Park? How are they not picking that up when it comes to the VAR? It's terrible. It's so bad. And the penalty kick comes along and you're thinking, great, we're going to get pegged back. But more so, then Arsenal being pegged back. Your worry is that we've come out sleeping. It's not very easy when you've gone into kind of autopilot and, and maybe worse than that, maybe shutdown mode. It's not easy to reboot things again and get yourselves back on it mentally and get you back up to speed and get you switched on again. And, and the Arsenal team were drained, were struggling. I thought we looked leggy in that second half. And listen, it's not surprising, right? We played Spurs, we played Bodo Glimt, we played Liverpool, we played Bodo Glimt again. We came back from Norway, what, on Friday? Um, not the closest trip, not the easiest trip. The conditions are difficult. A lot of the same players had to be involved because of the size of our squad, quite frankly. And here we are now at Ellen Road playing against a very spirited lead side and a side who are up for it. So up steps Patrick Bamford, who you think is going to score because he's been an absolute nuisance so far. Um, since he's come onto the pitch and he puts it wide and you celebrate because you feel at that point that this maybe might be our day after all. But again, as an Arsenal fan, you're hoping that it gives us a kick up the backside. You're hoping that it's something that, that reboots us and, and sends that message across to the players like, you got away with it once, 
He got away with it again. No more. You have to get back on it. You have to get back to the level that we all know you can play. Or at the very least, if you can't get back to your peak level because you are leading the game, you need to regain control of it. You need to wrestle back control from Leeds United who are running you off the park, who are all over you, who are outplaying you, who are pulling you left to right, right to left. And again, it didn't happen. The performance was still well below where it should have been. And then, of course, right at the death, right at the death, in stoppage time, it looked as though we'd made a right mess of it. It looked as though we'd thrown it away after battling so hard. It looked as though we were going to leave with just the point. Chris Kavanagh and his team had decided that the coming together between Gabriel and Patrick Bamford was worthy of a Leeds penalty kick, but not just a penalty kick, a red card for Gabriel, who would have been then out for the next three games because it would have been based on violent conduct. And you're watching that incident unfold and you can see that Patrick Bamford started that, that he's triggered that, that he's ignited that. But at the same time, you're sitting there going, Gabriel again. Gabriel, who's been rash. Gabriel, who's proven that he can lose his head in the past. Gabriel, who we love and adore and, you know, is someone who is all or nothing, as, as Jamal Fifield put it on the show the other day, but has this in him where he just loses his head, where he just explodes. And you're sitting there thinking, why have you kicked out? Because he does make the movement to kick out. Uh, Bamford. There's no question about that. Does he connect? No, not really. Um, it reminded me of the Battle of Old Trafford uh, when the uh, Invincibles began their run, when Patrick Vieira sort of did a similar thing where he sort of flicked out towards Ruud van Nistelrooy. There was nothing in terms of contact, but van Nistelrooy made a meal of it. And obviously the intent was punished. And I thought that that was going to happen again today. And, and Chris Kavanagh has gone over to his linesman who has said what he said, um, obviously convinced Chris Kavanagh that, that Gabriel should be sent off. Across he comes, points to the spot, sends off Gabriel, etc., etc. Um, and and you're thinking, great. And at that point, I could hear the, the pitchforks being sharpened. I could hear the knives being sharpened because Gabriel has been a point of debate in recent weeks. But thankfully... The game didn't go ahead without VAR. Thankfully, common sense prevailed. And thankfully... Courtesy of the video assistant referee getting involved and urging, advising Chris Kavanagh to go over to the sidelines and check it out. And he watches it and he sees that there's a foul committed by Patrick Bamford before this whole kicking out incident even occurs and then obviously he doesn't feel like he's kicked out sufficiently because he withdraws the red card and downgrades it to a yellow now this is the bit that confuses me and this is why I can understand football fans sit there week in week out scratching their heads trying to come to some sort of understanding of what these laws that we keep getting told about actually mean and actually entail okay did Gabriel kick out? Yes or no? It's a simple question. If he kicks out, he should be sent off, right? Okay, I don't think he should be sent off because I don't think he makes contact, etc., etc. But if you're convinced he's kicked out and you're convinced that's violent conduct, then you send him off. Now, obviously, having reviewed it, you found that the foul on him has occurred before that takes place. So the penalty shouldn't be given because the foul should be given first, right? Which means penalty, get it in the bin. That's not a penalty. But the kicking out bit, that happens after the foul has been given or should have been given. And so that's a separate incident. That is violent conduct, as they like to call it. So was that violent conduct or was it not violent conduct? If it was, then surely you send him off. But you've obviously decided it wasn't because you've downgraded the card. But then you're saying it is because you've booked him still. 
you either give him a red card as far as I'm concerned or you give him no card. I don't really understand how they've come to that decision. Now, I'm fine with it, obviously. I don't want him to be suspended for three games. That's the last thing we need right now. Um, but yeah, it just it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. And um, we're going to come on to talk about individual performances in a minute, but I'll start with Gabriel because I think he's the interesting one. People keep saying he's too rash, he's too aggressive. He doesn't think. First and foremost, if you take that out of Gabriel, if you take that aggression out of Gabriel, he is not half the defender that he is today because it's a big part of the way he plays. He plays on the edge. He toes the line. And that's something that, um, you know, that that we, we have to accept and acknowledge when it comes to Gabriel. Will he learn to control that and curb that more and more and, and to a better level as he develops as a player? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, but the thing is, to me, with me, is that I had thought he had a really good game today. I thought he had a great game today. You know, if you look at some of the statistics, and I screenshotted some of them earlier because I didn't want to miss out on this or didn't want to forget um, to bring this up. And it was pointed out in the chat earlier on, but I said to you guys we'd leave it um, until a bit later on in the conversation. So this was Gabrielle's performance against Leeds in numbers. 100% aerial duels won. 90% accuracy, 80 touches, nine jewels contested, eight jewels won, four clearances, four blocks, three tackles, three interceptions, and one shot. This guy today was effing immense. He was a brick wall at the back for us. He had to defend for large periods and he defended, gave it his all, gave it his everything. So why people are being critical of him because he was wrongly penalised or, or wrongly, yeah, wrong, you know, Arsenal were wrongly penalised and a penalty was awarded that was then overturned. Why are people having a go at Gabriel? Is he a bit silly to kind of half ass kick out? Yeah, 100%. 100%. But does that mean that we have to go massive on his performance? I don't think so. I thought he was great. I thought he was better than William Saliba today. We'll come on to talk about his performance in a bit. But Gabriel was the standout defender in that back line today. Not a question about that in my mind. So lay off him because he was good. Okay, he lost his head. And that is something that he needs to improve on. But is it worth sort of really going in hard on him as Arsenal supporters? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Um, hold on a second. Uh, Lewis says, uh, why don't you understand that, Harry, talking about the card thing? He thought it was a red, but after looking at it back, he thought it was a yellow. What's so hard to understand about that? Yeah, but if you're if you have looked at that incident, it's it's one way or the other, right? Has he kicked out or has he not kicked out? If he has kicked out, then that's worthy of a red card and you give him a red card. You don't give the penalty because the foul occurred before, but violent conduct can happen out of play. It can happen not in the game. Uh, listen, I'm glad he didn't get sent off, but the point I'm trying to make is, do you think he kicked out or do you not? Because if you don't, you shouldn't be giving him any card. If you do, then you should be showing him a red card. This is where football and the lines become blurred because referees choose to take middle ground, a middle ground that in the laws of the game doesn't exist. And, and this is why you get inconsistency in our sport. This is why even when you have VAR and you have all these tools available, and even if you have elite referees, you will always have these debates and, and that back and forth because at times referees choose when there is no middle ground, to find the middle ground. And that's what Chris Kavanagh has done there today. Now, on this occasion, it benefits Arsenal Football Club because Gabriel is not sent off. But it just, to me, it doesn't make sense. You, If you've booked him, if you've shown him a yellow card, so you've downgraded from red to yellow, that still suggests that you think he has kicked out. In which case, if he's kicked out, he should be sent off. There isn't a middle ground there. That's the point I'm trying to make. Again, I don't care. I'm glad. But the point I'm trying to make here is that it's it's no wonder that fans come away from football matches week in, week out and, and tell you that they don't really understand the laws of the game anymore and, and understand how it's all going um, and, and where it's all coming from, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
let's see what some of you guys uh, are saying in the chat about this. Uh, um, Dean says, spot on, Harry. Uh, Bad Boy says, uh, exaggerated falling, not kicking out. Um, what are you saying that that's what he was booked for? He was definitely not booked for the fall. Uh, there's not not a chance of that. Uh, Willow uh, Mo Fire says he's becoming like Xhaka in terms of controlling his temper. How how sort of surreal was it to see Granite Xhaka of all people calming him down? Uh, Don Juan says um, they need something to moan about. Harry Paul James says Gabriel makes very few errors, but the ones he does make are always whoppers, so they're hard to ignore. I don't want him dropped. Um, Rael says, that's the crazy thing about Gabriel. His numbers always stack up, but he does have that bozo gene. Um, Kuhn says, uh, I'm not biased, but he needs to sit and have a chat with the coaches. Uh, Stilton Avengers says, Gab was so good today, had a niggly game to manage and did great. Saliba had a great intro to the Prem with this game. Mid-table teams can surprise you. Uh, Rayhan says, does it matter whether the kick connected? It shouldn't matter, really, should it? Because the intent is there. Um, you know, if a player swings a punch at another player and misses him, it doesn't mean that he hasn't swung the punch and he shouldn't be punished. And when I think back to the examples of this that we've seen in the past, and the one that I always think of, I know it was a long time ago, but the one I always think of was the Vieira one. Vieira was sent off because he intended to kick Grand story. He didn't catch him. And, and there's been many more examples between then and now. Um, Lewis says, I think he thought it was worse than it was. Harry kicked out, but it was very light and barely touched him. Didn't touch him at all, to be honest. Um, not at all. But as well, like, you know, we need to, we need to back our players in these situations because... Gabriel has been wrong there, right? He's been fouled, okay? He has been fouled. He's gone down. He feels like Bamford is trying to gain an advantage. That Bamford is trying to get in his head. He's lost his head of touch. And the referee, the on-field officials, could not wait to give that decision. They just could not wait. Just could not wait. Thankfully, the VAR was on hand. We need to back our players and support our players. Because whatever you say about Gabriel, whether you like his style or you don't, gives you 100% every time he's fully committed to the cause. But anyway, uh, we'll move on from Gabriel. Let's go through the rest of the team and then we'll do a bit of a Q&A session uh, up until just before match of the day is on because I do want to watch that this evening. Uh, right, let's, uh, let's start off then uh, with Aaron Ramsdale. Great game. Really good game. It's as good a game as I've seen Aaron Ramsdale having quite a while. Now, obviously, that's partly because he had more to do, right? Arsenal have been incredibly dominant in a lot of games this season and Aaron Ramsdale hasn't had an awful lot to do. But I thought he was good in terms of the saves he made, in terms of the distance he gets on sort of his parries, his punches. That's really, really important. He doesn't beat the ball into dangerous areas. He pushes it wide. Um, you know, I would go as far as giving him Eight and a half, nine out of ten, if I was to give him a rating, because I thought his performance was sensational. Also very good when he had the ball at his feet. And Leeds pressed us really, really aggressively. And, you know, he had to pick out some passes into the midfield. He had to remain composed, even having Leeds players sort of charging sort of down his throat. I thought it was a really great game from Aaron Ramsdale. I'm, I'm really happy with what I saw from him. Uh, ben White had a, a decent game as well. Solid game. Um, you know, looks very comfortable in that right-back position nowadays. And you could see that when Tomiyasu was stepping into midfield, which, again, I don't think really worked uh, in the way that it works with Zinchenko or in the way that it's maybe worked with Tierney. Um, you know, I thought Ben White was uh, was solid and became a part of that back three, along with Gabriel and Saliba. And, and the three of them, as, as always, were, were very effective as a line and as a unit. Uh, moving on to William Saliba, I thought he had a, shaky second half. First half, I thought he looked comfortable. He coped, did really well, um, turned out of some difficult positions on a couple of occasions, showed that composure. It's obviously been a, a real sort of positive having watched him at the start of the season. Um, yeah, look, I, I thought that, that Saliba's first half was solid, but the second half, he was rattled. Um, and I think it was after that moment where he was given a bit of a hospital pass, if we're being honest. I still think he could have done 
a lot better with it and should have done a lot better with it. But he just stepped inside, didn't he? He tried to carry the ball and his touch was heavy and it allowed leads in and it led to a bit of a moment and Aaron Ramsdale had to come to the rescue and that was a real scare for Arsenal. And from that moment on, you just looked at him and felt he was a little bit rattled. And uh, this is where we sometimes forget that he's still a young lad, still a, a lad who's learning his trade, who hasn't been to Ellen Road before, doesn't know exactly what to expect from all of these places just yet. And this is part of his education. And then, of course, he concedes the penalty. I thought it was a little bit unlucky in the way he conceded the penalty, but he, he gets kind of caught in a position that he doesn't really want to be in. And that's not something that you can say often of William Saliba. Normally, he's been really good at making sure he doesn't end up in those situations, but he he was there today. And, um, and yeah, there were a couple of shaky moments in that second half. There's no doubt about that. Um, moving to left back, Tommy Asu spoke about him already. Really good off the ball, but on it didn't offer us enough today, in my personal opinion. Um, I, I I don't think that the decision to pick him at left back today worked. I think it limited us going forward down that left hand side. It limited our rhythm and it affected our tempo at times when we were trying to build up down that side. Uh, but also, I thought in dealing with Leeds' press, he had a few problems, especially in the first half. Second half was better. Uh, for him on an individual basis, but he looked much better and probably way closer to his best when he switched over to right back after the substitution of Ben White was made. Moving into midfield, Thomas Partey. I read an article online earlier that said that Partey had dominated the midfield. What? I, I thought that this was one of Thomas Partey's weaker performances in an Arsenal shirt. I really did. I thought he struggled to find the spaces that he normally finds. Again, that's a credit and a testament to Leeds and how well they did. But, you know, he he struggled to find spaces. He turned into trouble at times. His passing range was a little bit off. He gave the ball away needlessly on a number of occasions. Yeah, you know, he filled the right gaps from a defensive point of view and offered the right protection to the back line. But, his touch was off. His passing was off. He, it, it wasn't the Thomas Partey that we've we've come to expect, um, you know, over the last year or so, where he's he's been superb when fit. Obviously, uh, Granit Xhaka, I thought was really good again today. Uh, really good. One of our better players, in my opinion. Always seemed to have the ball under control. Very rarely lost it. Uh, did lose it a couple of times, as did everyone when he tried to be a little bit blockbuster in his passes, but I thought he helped us move the ball well. And I thought he showed his leadership qualities on a number of occasions, kind of just instructing the team to calm down under sort of pressure in, during the difficult moments. Obviously, he stepped in to kind of stop Gabriel landing himself in hotter water after that whole incident with with Patrick Bamford. So, yeah, Granit Xhaka was, was one of the better players for me. I thought he had a decent game. Martin Odegaard, I thought in the first half, although he misplaced a couple of passes and his touch was off on a couple of occasions, I thought for the most part, he helped us with a rhythm. He helped us uh, sort of carve the few openings that we did. Obviously, got the assist for the Saka goal. So you can't say that Martin Odegaard had a bad game. But in the second half, he was far less effective. Arsenal were less effective as a team. Couldn't get on the ball anywhere near enough. And when you don't have the ball, OK, Martin Odegaard puts in the work. But you're not going to get the best of him, are you, in that in that situation? So, yeah, um, not, not a great second half for him, but a decent first one, I would say. Saka, very, very quiet outside of the goal, but he got the goal and it's the decisive goal and it's the goal that ensured uh, we stayed, you know, right at the top of the pile and, and comfortably as well after, of course, Manchester City were beaten. Uh, but it's a goal that gets us another three points on the board. It means for the first time, think is it the first time ever um i'll just check that i think i've got that stat somewhere as well where is it oh, i can't find it right now but i think it's the first time arsenal have won uh, nine of their first 10 games in the premier league which is pretty impressive and and that's thanks to bakayo saka's goal today so you have to give him his credit martinelli worked hard as he always does not as effective as he can be felt like he was a bit reluctant at times to take on players to take on the fullback and that's not normally something you say of him. Um, so, yeah, strange. Um, not his best game, but not bad. Uh, and Gabriel Jesus was well below par as well. A bit like Thomas Partey. You don't expect him to be at that level because of the very high standards that he himself has set. 
But when he did drop deep and try and get involved, his touch was off. His, you know, I don't know, his radar was off a little bit. He wasn't really uh, finding the spaces in the pockets that he normally does. Wasn't able really to string the forward play together apart from on a couple of occasions. Um, so, yeah, you know, um, not his best performance, but there was a fitness doubt, as I've mentioned, around him. So I don't know how much of a part that played. So that's kind of how I would rate the individual performances of people today, um, of the starting guys anyway. And then Mikel Arteta made some uh, some good substitutions, I felt, in order to um, make sure that we saw the game out. Look, we got away with it in the end, not because of the VAR, but because we didn't perform very well. And you have to give Jesse Marsh. You have to give Jesse Marsh and his team the credit that they deserve because, you know, Jesse Marsh coming over for States, um, obviously he's worked in Europe before, but there is that kind of stigma that comes, you know, and, and I know this because I hear it all the time. Listen, I've got friends from the States that are incredibly clued up about football, that love it, that, you know, really follow it very, very closely. But you'd be lying. Any British person would be lying if they didn't say or didn't admit there is a bit of a stigma when Americans come into the Premier League. There is. It's not right, but there is. You know, it's always like, oh, what do you know about our sport? Stick to baseball, stick to NFL, stick to hockey. Listen, I don't subscribe to that idea at all, but you know that that exists here. And even if it's not said blatantly or bluntly, you do get that vibe when it comes to the coverage around Jesse Marsh at times. And to be fair to him, he set up a team today that came, that attacked, that hassled, that pressed, that put in maximum energy and that on another day walk away from Ellen Road with all three points. And if they had walked away with all three points today based on their second half performance and based on how dominant they were over the side, sitting pretty at the top of the Premier League, they'd have deserved it. You know, they'd have deserved it. And, and you have to say that. You have to admit that you have to give them that credit so if i were a leeds fan little message to the leeds fans i don't know if there's any leeds fans watching or listening but what i would say is don't dwell on it too much i know you need points i need know you need results but take encouragement from take encouragement from what you saw from your team today there's some really good players there um that there's a manager that clearly has a style of play yeah it might take a bit of time to implement it and and to see it pay off as regularly and as consistently as you'd like. But if I were a Leeds fan, I'd be gutted that we lost today. But as I say, there's plenty of things to be encouraged about because that performance was superb. Listen, from our perspective, as um, as Angry Gunas says, we got lucky, but sometimes you need that bit of luck. Yeah, you do. You do, for sure. Okay, um, let's take a couple of questions. We'll spend more time on questions tomorrow. I beg your pardon. I didn't expect the show to run this long, but I got really into it. Um, and so I ended up talking for way, way too long. But yeah, drop me a couple of questions in the chat. I'll take a couple of those and then um, we can uh, we can sort of wrap up, watch match of the day, as I know everybody wants to, and then we can get back on it tomorrow and we can have a, a deeper discussion uh, and we can take some more questions and spend more time uh, on your questions. Uh, Sakaya says, Ramsdale finally dived the right way for a penalty. Will he save one next time? Do you know what? That penalty from Bamford, I actually think that had it been on target that Ramsdale gets there, when you watch the replay, it looked like he had the goal and that corner covered brilliantly. And given his performance today and, and sort of the way everything was going right for him, I wouldn't have been surprised if uh, if he did stop that and keep it out. Uh, but Bamford missed anyway, so we'll never know. Uh, let's take a couple more. Um, Don Juan says, Harry, would you play a full-strength team about against PSV? How strong would you go? It's, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because I think we look leggy today. I think we look tired. And, you know, we've got another away game in the Premier League next weekend, which is never easy. So you want to try and get people up to speed. There will be people... Um, you know, so there will be people that still need a breather. There will be people that will be struggling after today that were touch and go for today, but made it and may not make it next weekend if you play them in the Europa League. I think what we need to do is find a bit of balance again. And where that balance comes in terms of which first team players you select, I think has to be based on how everybody recovers. At least the game's at home, which means there's no travelling. But 
we we got to go out there and beat PSV. We got to win this group. We don't want to play in the round of 32 against the Champions League side, um, and we want to avoid the two additional games. So we're not qualified yet. It, you know, we're not through yet, and we're not group winners yet. So you got to keep trying to find that balance until we achieve that. And maybe, just maybe, we'll be in a position in the last couple of group games, or at least the last one, where we can take our foot off the gas and maybe rest everybody. But we we have to make sure that we avoid that extra and additional round um, in the uh, in the uh, Europa League. Uh, Josh Hunter says, would you like to see a partnership of White and Saliba uh, one day? Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I'd be curious to see how it works. But... The way I see it in my own mind is that that might not work as well as you'd think just because of the styles. So White is quite a composed defender, um, someone who reads the game quite well, likes to drop off a little bit in the way that maybe Saliba does as well. Gabriel is the aggressor. I think you always need, with centre-backs like White or Saliba, an aggressor. And Gabriel brings that. So I think why, that's why he brings a balance and an equilibrium to that back line. I'm not sure it works as well uh, with White and Saliba, but that's not to say that it can't work in a one-off game or or here and there. But there's obviously a reason that Mikel Arteta feels that Gabriel and Saliba works best in terms of the balance. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Lots of questions about PSV. We are going to do um, we are going to do uh, a preview show for that game uh, a little bit later on in the week. Stilton Avenger says, did you see the Ramsdale quote? He was asked what his best save was, and he said the one with his nuts. That looked painful, man. You know, when when the ball hits you there, it takes you a good sort of few seconds to actually feel the effects of it. But once you do, boy, do you feel it. Um, yeah, horrible. Horrible for Aaron Ramsdale. But he was great and in great form this evening. Right, look, going to leave it there because I, I'm going to go off and watch Match of the Day and relive uh, the Arsenal win at Leeds. And now I can watch it back without the stress, without the headache, without the agony. It might be a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, but we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. We'll spend much more time on your questions and your thoughts. Then there's a bit of members content coming your way on Tuesday as well. So much to come. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Make sure you leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. We've only got 128 likes on the board, which is nowhere near good enough given how many of you are watching. Check out the Chronicles of Aguna Premium on anotherslice.com. You can find the link and the details and a teaser of what our members' content looks like in the description. Check it out. I'll be back with you soon. Until next time, up the Arsenal. Four points clear at the top of the Premier League. Who'd have thought it? I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.